Welcome to Totally Tel Aviv, presented by Citizen Cafe, where we take you inside the lives of Tel Avivians from all walks of life. Now here's your host, Josh Hoffman. Hello and welcome inside our studios here at Mindspace for another episode of Totally Tel Aviv, presented by Citizen Cafe. I'm your host, Josh Hoffman. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to be glad you did, because today we are joined by none other than Adir Freilich. Adir is quite the interesting human being. He's originally from New York City. And from what I understand, Adir, you're just coming up now on your one-year anniversary of moving to Tel Aviv. So, Mazal Tov, congratulations. Thank you. You're the host of Startup Camel, which is a podcast in which you interview Israeli startup founders in English. Correct. Like the twist there. And you were on the flight which is now known as the Miracle on the Hudson back in 2009 when the U.S. Airways flight crash-landed in the Hudson River in New York. We'll talk about that as well. But first, talk to us about the last year that you've had in Tel Aviv coming up on your anniversary and what that's been like and what you're looking forward to in terms of your life here in Tel Aviv. Cool. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I love Citizen Cafe. I'm actually in Citizen Cafe studying some Hebrew. It's a lot of fun for me, and I love everybody there. So it's part of the whole community of Mindspace and all that. It's great. So uh, actually, just this morning, I interviewed Tamar Pras, the founder of Citizen Cafe, for the podcast. Um, So the life in Tel Aviv for the past year, I mean, it surpassed my expectations. Uh, You know, I'm not coming here as a young Olei Hadash, pretty established. I'm 35 years old. Uh, I dreamed about Israel for a long time. And it's hard to leave family, friends, New York, a career. Um, But I did kind of leave it all behind, uh, although I visited in the past year New York twice uh, for a wedding and a bachelor party. Um, But I really wanted to come for a long time, and I decided to make the jump last year. I was visiting uh, in July for a vacation, and I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm moving. And I went back, packed my stuff, booked a ticket, and I flew here. Um, In the beginning, I think because I'm not coming as, like, this, like, lone person, I got a whole network of friends and family here. I don't think I'm the average uh, Olei Hadash um, I was kind of like just enjoying myself, a little bit of vacation, uh, just hunting for apartments. Uh, I tell the story about looking for my apartment, which I love now, uh, as I was looking for it for like a home, not just like a little go-to apartment. I looked at like 45 apartments and I walked around uh, to every single interview or not an interview. I walked around to every single apartment by foot. So I got to learn a little bit about the center of Tel Aviv and I was only looking to live in the center of Tel Aviv. Um, so I learned all about it as I walked around. And, uh, you know, it was about just establishing myself and putting some roots into the ground, figuring out what my next move was. Um, I think a big part of my move to Israel was about wanting to make a career change. Uh, I had a company uh, for 13 and a half years where I did marketing and advertising. Uh, I was pretty happy with it as far as success goes, but it didn't really give me much rewarding uh, experience. So... Uh, I first was starting to do some volunteer work, and I volunteered at a school where I help Israeli kids from troubled homes um, in, like, a rough neighborhood uh, learn English, and I still continue to do that. Um, and I was looking to get a startup going. I mean, we're in Startup Nation here, and along the way, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Idan Hershko, has uh, this podcast that he started four years ago called The Startup Camel, and I took it over about five months ago. We're just about to launch soon. Um, so overall, life's been pretty good. Uh, can't complain. I like the communal feeling of Israel and Tel Aviv specifically. Um, every person I meet is smarter than the next. It's crazy. And uh, 
especially in the environment of the startup world, uh, I'm getting to meet and interview some of the most smart, successful people that the world has to offer. So it's unique and fun experience. So the name of Deer is certainly an Israeli name. Where does yes. that come from? A rabbi actually named me. Uh, my mom, my dad, and my older brother all have n- names with the letter A, so they wanted to stick to that theme. Uh, the fun, the story, and my mom will love that I'm sharing this story, is that a, they came up with three names. Uh, Adar, thank God they didn't go with that. Um, Adam and Aaron. And the rabbi kind of told them all the problems with those names, or whatever they are, it uh, doesn't matter. Uh, and he said, use the name Adir. It means awesome or amazing. And uh, actually, I recently learned, we, we learned, I knew already, obviously, but in my class, they taught us what the word Adir means. Probably Chen, who's the teacher, knows that I'm in the room. He wants to, you know, do it. And this kid's like, your name means awesome? That's awesome. You know? <laughs> And you know what? In Israel, it is awesome. Uh, growing up in America with an ethnic name like a deer, uh, 90% of people think I'm like Indian before they meet me, first of all. And then when they do meet me, um, they instantly think of the song like Doe a Deer, you know? This is like every person I've ever met in my entire life sings the song Doe a Deer, a female deer to me. And in here in Israel, two things happen that's so different. First of all, they don't understand that I'm not Israeli. They can't even grasp it. And then also they think it's an awesome name because that's exactly what it means. They've been using it their whole life as a word to describe things that are awesome. So Absolutely. it's kind of cool. I feel like I'm meant to be here. So I'm sure you've been asked this a lot and for good reason. It's such an interesting and, and really truly a miracle that you were on what's now today known as the Miracle on the Hudson, which was, again, in 2009, uh, U.S. Airways flight took off from New York, Correct from New York City, yep. and Warty ultimately Airport. had to make a crash landing, and the pilot, or the pilots, decided that the most feasible crash landing option was to land the plane in the Hudson River, which, when you think about it, is absolutely crazy. They made a movie about it with Tom Hanks, which I believe came out a year ago, a great movie if you haven't seen it, but you were on that flight. Correct. You were on that flight. Talk to us about is, that it, it, entire situation from getting on the plane to being on the plane to all the, what I would believe to be traumatic, exciting, nervous, crazy experience, and then the aftermath. I mean, take us through the whole picture. I mean, the reality is uh, I'm not actually asked about it too often because I'm usually the one doing the questioning, questioning but uh, I do share it often because it is an amazing experience. You know, it's hands down one of the greatest things to ever happen in my life. It taught me so much about life and myself. Uh, mostly, uh, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, we live in a place where you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And against all odds, we thrive and succeed here uh, in Israel. Um, the, the the experience was crazy. I mean, you know, we took off. Two minutes in, there was an explosion. The left engine I saw outside of the window was bursting into flames. I thought we were going to die. This guy did some amazing stuff. I mean, he used to glide planes in his free time for fun. So I guess perfect pilot for the mission. Um it was amazing. So, so I just want to like go kind of play by play. To me, it's really interesting. <laughs> so you see the left engine outside of your window. Yeah. Like literally what is going through it, your mind? Are you I'm freaking out? Are you I'm sweating? Are you praying? What I'm are you doing? I'm thinking I am about to die. Um, then he started to turn the plane, so I felt like he had control. Uh, but then right as I started to feel comfortable and calm down, he got on the loudspeaker and he said, brace for impact, which usually means you're going to die when you're on a plane. Uh, but really the scariest part was the flight attendants were chanting, brace, brace, keep your head down the whole way down. And you can hear the fear in their voices. And when we hit the water, we like skipped on the water like a rock until we stopped. 
Lights turned off. The smell of jet fuel punched me in the face. I thought we were going to explode. I go to leave. I grab the life vest. I'm one of nine, by the way, out of 155 passengers to get the life vest, which is comical if you think about it. (laughs) And I go down. I actually joke around saying I had a luxurious plane crash because I didn't even get wet. I slid down the slide like the video said. I put the the vest over my neck first, slid down the side, pulled the cord, and I was sitting on a raft uh, as people I'm watching, the plane is in the water, jumping into the water, swimming. A lot of people suffered hypothermia. I would like to survive a, uh, uh, sorry, I would like to say that I survived a plane crash without a scratch, but I did have a little scratch on my palm, but it's healed nicely. Um, you know, I, I'm very lucky uh, to have survived. I feel lucky to be alive. I feel lucky to breathe there. I feel lucky to be getting interviewed right now by you, you know. I really, it's a very humbling experience. And it just taught me so much, you know. I'm just, you got to appreciate what's going on. How often life. do you think about that experience? <sighs> Multiple times a day. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not bringing myself back to the moment of the crashing happened, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's something I use as a, I don't want to use say I use it as a tool, but I use it in my daily life as uh, I'm interacting with people. You know, the concept of something being impossible is laughable to me because anything's possible considering I survived a plane crash, and that's easy for me to go to. Um, and I try to share the experience with almost everybody I meet. I mean, first of all, it kind of shares a lot about me, who I am, what my motivation is, um, and also it's a nice icebreaker. I mean, some of my friends say that, They've never been around me without me talking about the plane crash. So uh, it's funny because you asked if you could talk about it before we started the interview. And uh, it's kind of funny that you're asking me that because I, I obviously love talking about it. Like, would you uh, put that in your <laughs> Tinder profile? Like, oh, by the way, you know, I survived around. the miracle on the Hudson. Yeah, I've played around with with uh, the, the Tinder profile You should use stuff. it to your benefit. Yeah, I used it. Trust me, I've gotten a lot of benefits from this over the course of my life. Uh, every time I fly in a plane, which has been a lot of times, uh, it took me a couple years to get back on a plane, but then I had to fly in an emergency. Emergency, uh, to LA from New York for work. Uh, I remember my grandmother saying, why are you flying all the way to LA? Why don't you just fly to Boston or Philadelphia? And I was like, I have to go for work, you know. And one of my best friends, a psychiatrist, I pop a pill, fall asleep, wake up in LA. And the experience wasn't much of an experience. Now, I, fl- I used to fly every week, uh, twice a week. Sunday, I'd fly to a different city in America. Thursday, I'd fly home to New York City. And the fear is long gone. I've been on over 500 flights since the crash. So, uh, about to, I just got back from New York. Took me two planes to get here. I'm flying to Australia in December. Uh, it's going to take me three planes to get there, three planes to get back. So I have no fear. If I was scared of flying, my life would be totally different. So uh, I'm glad I have no fear and I got over it. Um, but yeah, it's a very nice and unique experience. And trust me, I, every time I get on a plane, I tell them I was on this plane that crashed and uh, I'm nervous flyer, even though I'm not. And I get an upgrade or I get something. I sat in on a. Air France flight with the pilots. They were picking my brain all about it. They loved it. They put me, they asked me to come up and speak to them. They gave me some champagne and I sat in the cockpit for an hour talking about the plane crashing in the Hudson River. It was amazing. So uh, it's really a lucky thing and, and I for sure use it to my benefit. Amazing. Amazing. I, I never thought that I'd be talking to somebody on that, on that, that was on that plane because I saw the movie with, with Tom Hanks. And I believe at the end of the movie, if I recall correctly, there's a scene of the real captain. And you guys, the, yeah, were you a in that scene? A lot of the scene? passengers, I was not in the scene. It was taped. I don't know why. They, because it was flying to North Carolina, there's a lot of North Carolinians, I guess. That's what it's they're called. Um, so they get a lot of North Carolina events happening. 
but I live in I lived in New York, and I, I I don't know. I'm not so I wasn't so in touch with them. I mean, I was so busy from the day I survived that plane crash to now that uh, I didn't really seek them out. But I'm part of like a Facebook group, and I could have been in part of the movie if I wanted, but I didn't care enough. I mean, so, like, what was your life like immediately after? I mean, it, that, I think it's crash. a coincidence. Uh, some people could say fate, stuff like that. I don't believe in it. But I think coincidentally, I enrolled at university the morning of the crash. Uh, had I not done that, I'm not sure what my life would be like. But I ended up working full time for myself. I started a company when I was 22. I was 27 at the time of the plane crash. So I ended up working full time uh, and getting a bachelor's degree while going to school full time. I got a bachelor's degree in two years while I worked also full time. I said that so poorly. Can I re-record this part? Um, I happened to enroll at the, the morning of the crash into university and I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in two years while I worked for myself full time. So I was pretty motivated. I had like a blowtorch under my ass basically really getting me going. And it's actually a piece of the motivation behind why I moved to Israel. Um, so I don't know if you're going to get to that, but just to share, uh, I started to feel, uh, have feelings of being content. I mean, I was pretty happy. I succeeded. I traveled the world. I did everything I could dream of, basically. And I wasn't really so motivated to continue my business. I wanted to find new ventures and new opportunities and seek out a new life so I can get that driving and motivational force again. And I've really found it here in Tel Aviv, so it's cool. So that's a good segue into Tel Aviv because this is totally Tel Aviv, the podcast. So what's your favorite thing about Tel Aviv? You know, it's funny. I grew up in Manhattan and I've always loved the beach so much. The fact that I'm a five-minute walk to the beach is one of my favorite things. Um, Obviously, I can attain that in other places, but I think the communal aspect as well of the land of the Jews and how people just come together every step of the way, anything you want, uh, you know, help for everybody's quick to help each other it's it's a great thing and what about your least favorite thing customer service i mean for my podcast i make a joke uh welcome to the startup camel um here in mind space in the center of tel aviv where uh, israel where the weather and people are beautiful and the customer service is ugly you know <laughs> it's just horrendous and i'm from new york city where we have the highest level quality of customer service and uh, i mean any one of these restaurants that basically doesn't even say hi to me when i come as a customer we go out of business uh I, I really if we can come up with an idea josh together to change the customer service we could be very rich people well know. the thing that i found because i'm from la and it's the same sort of standard I mean, in the states in general and certainly in the bigger cities there is that level of expectation that you're going to get good customer service if you go to a good place. Yeah. I mean, here I just went to a restaurant the other day. It was a Cafe Cafe. I'll give them a little shout-out how bad their customer service is. Right. I That's mean, like I the second. <laughs> I walk in. I mean, I walk in. I'm like, hi. Uh, I, they sit me down. I'm like, can I have some water? They, like, ignore me. I ask another person, can I have some water? And they ignore me. And then I ask uh, the so, same person from the first time, and they just ignore me. And it took me 20 minutes to get a glass of water. I'm just like, I have to tip here? I hate it. What I realize is that in the States, if you work at a decent to good restaurant or establishment in any sort of customer service capacity, a lot of those people are career servers or career customer service personnel. Whereas here, you're getting a lot of people before or after the army. They're just there to make money. You know, I heard and, this as an excuse. And No, it's not an excuse, but it's, <laughs> it's the, the fact of the matter is that when you're a career server and literally your career depends on how good of a service you provide in terms of your income and 
you know, opportunities and so on and so forth. So it makes sense that you're going to get better service. But when you're just literally dealing with kids or like very, very young adults who only see this as an interim opportunity and, and, and opportunity is even a strong word, yeah. then what you get is, is, is this sort of type of service or lack yeah. thereof. Um, I, I, I have to disagree. I think it just comes down to Israelis don't care about customer service. So they don't provide it and they don't expect it. I don't know why. And they probably don't teach it. Yeah, they probably don't yeah. train it. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. But, uh, you know, I think that there's a social change aspect here that if you can help people get better service, then everybody's happier. Right. And the tips will increase. I mean, 10%. What's 10%? 20 is the average in New York City. So. Right. Uh, they'd make more money. They'd be happier. People would spread happiness. I don't know. I can't believe that in this place where everybody comes together and so many things happen against all odds, we can't fucking better the customer service. Am I allowed to curse and stuff, by the way? Well, you just did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> all right. Let's move into our quick hitter segment. These are quick questions for me, quick answers from you. First, describe Tel Aviv in one word. Amazing. What's one thing in or about Tel Aviv that you've never experienced in another city? I can't say the customer service thing again, can I? <laughs> the communal, the community, really. I mean, everybody's trying to help everybody. The friendships that I form so fast, it's like some of my friends that I'm friends with for only one year now, makes me feel like uh, I've been friends with them for, for my whole life. It's unbelievable. What's your favorite restaurant in Tel Aviv? I'm going to have to say Tompolo Pompo. Have you been there? It's unbelievable. I haven't. It's a little pricey, but it's worth the money. And what's your favorite local food? Surprisingly, it's a French bakery that's across the street from me that is awesome. But uh, I guess I'd have to say falafel, really. Arak or Gold Star? Gold Star. Falafel or hummus? Hummus. Sabih or Jachnun? <sighs> that's a very tough one. I'm going to say Jachnun. Florentine or the Old North? Old North, I live there. It's the best. What's your favorite Hebrew word or saying? Balagan. What's your best piece of advice for new Hebrew speakers? Practice makes perfect, you know? I mean, I'm in Citizen Cafe, obviously, practicing. And that's just, I mean, I look at it, the classes are like practicing Hebrew, really. They're not like this like, aggressive learning technique. Um, but all my friends, I have practice sessions with my friends. Like I set 45 minutes aside for them to help me practice. And that's the key, I think. Awesome, dear. Thanks so much. Thank you. Discover the real Israeli Hebrew that will get you feeling and sounding like a local. At Citizen Cafe, we use a fresh, dynamic, and highly effective approach while bringing much-needed light and laughter to learning spoken everyday Hebrew. Join our community of students in the heart of Tel Aviv's startup scene with intimate classes that revolve around your schedule so you can gain confidence in your Hebrew and apply it in the real world. To check out our course schedule, head over to citizencafetlv.com.